He's the Beacon Deacon Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. Now you do realize when Jesus made the I am statement in the Gospel of John, he was claiming deity. He was claiming to be God. And at that, the Jews picked up stones trying to kill him because he said, before Abraham was, I am. And uh, we're doing a a short series on uh, who is Jesus and the scientific term because an ology, you know, biology, well, we're talking about Christology or Christology, and that's the study of who Jesus is. Um, you've heard of theology, theo, that's the study of God. All right, so this is Christology, and um, I'm pulling this from Ligonier Ministries, just put out their statement of uh, Christology to just draw the help draw the line for folks this is the fundamental who jesus is stuff and it's good stuff and it's stuff that helps clear away the fuzziness of the uh of all the weird ideas about jesus so before i say anything i shouldn't let's pray uh father god get me out of your way because my opinion doesn't matter Your truth does. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, would we understand objective truth of the scriptures? And through the power of the Holy Spirit, respond and obey to your glory, Jesus. Amen. So what we're looking at is the word made flesh is a statement, and this is what the statement looks like. It's on your bulletin. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to dive into another section of it. It says this, We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the Father and the Holy Spirit, with the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, He became truly man. Two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us, crucified, dead, and buried. He rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. Now you do know amen does not mean the end. It means so be it or let it be. Right? So don't just use that at the end of your prayers you know, it's okay to say, yes, come on, God, let it be. That's the idea of an amen. 
But what we're going to look at here is the for us part of this. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robes. This is what we're going to be looking at is the first part of this. And there's so much goodies in here. Now, because my internet's been down, I was not able to get the clip that's been going around Facebook of the minister who said, God broke the law to save us. God loved us so much, He broke the law to save us. And that's wrong. And if we know truth, like here, we know God didn't break the law to save us. He kept the law to save us. Because we break the law just by blinking. It's in our nature to just hate God and do everything in our power to have an excuse not to obey Him. It's our very nature to go, yeah, I don't want to obey God. Right? That's what we do. Jesus kept the law so that He could be for us. Alright? And so that's what we're going to talk about is what is all this for? For us. And that's what I love about the statement. It really gets into what it's about. Why did he do this? So the stuff highlighted in yellow is what we're going to emphasize. He kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. There's so much juicy stuff here. Uh, let me just stick to my notes in case I go off too far off track. Um, a lot of this is going to come from Romans chapter 5, 12 through 21. So if you have Bibles or an, I, an iPhone app or whatever, it's Romans 5, 12 through 21. is where a lot of this text is going to come from. So let's dive into this. Let's look at this. In the statement of faith uh, that you can see online, um, they have affirmations and denials. And the two that I thought were really juicy to me, that really stood out, that I think is excited on there, an affirmation and denial, is what's highlighted up here. It says, We affirm that Jesus is the perfect and supreme image of God, and that to be truly human is to be conformed to His image. So, whenever you're talking to someone... Uh, if you ever watch Ray Comfort and he's going through the Ten Commandments to people and he says, have you ever told a lie? And they said, well, yeah, I did, but so have you. Okay, yes, okay, we're both liars, right? Have you ever stolen something? Well, yeah, I did, but so did you, right? And the person's ready to reaccuse us. I'm not going down, you're going down with me, right? And the idea is everybody's human, everybody's sin, nobody's perfect is the lines. Those are the lines of somebody going to hell. When they're throwing those out there, nobody's perfect. Ah, ah, God's got a grave on the curb because none of you did it, right? And we got that mindset. So I'm not going down unless you're all going down with me. So you can't judge me, right? And there's that attitude. But the reality is, is that A true human is what Jesus looks like, not what we look like. We're busted humans. You know, um, a lot of people who who believe in free will, I don't necessarily believe in that. That's another topic for another day. But they like to say, I'm not a robot. And I want to challenge you, if only we were a robot, because a robot did what they were made to do. 
right? We're busted toasters. We're not even robots. We're busted toasters thinking, I'm so free, I can electrocute people. I can burn toast. I cannot work. That's how free I am. What? What? Wait a minute. That's not an ability. That's a disability, right? And we look at this other denial, this, this piece of this, they go together, we, where the, this statement comes in. We also deny that sin is inherent. We deny that sin is inherent to true humanity or that Jesus' sinlessness is incompatible with his being truly human. A real human being, true humanity, as it was designed in the garden, did not have sin in it. Alright? Adam and Eve were born without sin. The sin was external. They were lied to. They were deceived. If anyone had a free will, it was them. Or Jesus. But not us. We're born zombies. We're born God-hating zombies. And we're always looking for an excuse to blow God off. Right? That's our nature. Give me a good reason not to come to church and I won't. Right? Right? Is this church full of people? We had two services Easter Sunday. Give people a good reason not to come to church and blow off Jesus. I got something else to do. Right? It's 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 our sin nature. But it's not inherent of true humanity. And see how these two fit together? Truly human is to look like Jesus. Jesus was a true human. We're not. We're busted toasters. We're broken. That's what sin is, right? Um, And now, this is the part I want to pick on. People who say free will, they believe evil is part of that freedom. Because if you say, I have free will, well, how do you mean by that? I can choose evil. What? Well, I have two cars. I have an older car and a newer car. The older car leaks oil. The new car doesn't. So which car does more? Well, my old car, it must do more than the new car. Right? So we define it that way. Yet Jesus, as a human, truly had a free will. Evil was not in his nature. So what do we call it for us? How can we... So did Jesus not have a free will? Because evil wasn't in him? Do you understand? We need to redefine that term free will. We need to come up with another term. We can call it sick will, busted will, broken will, uh, freaky will, but don't call it free will because now we're trying to give evil some sort of subtle virtue. And there's no virtue in evil. There's no benefit in calling evil some sort of sick freedom. That's bad. Jesus had a free will because he didn't have a sin nature in him. I usually don't use Jesus when I'm trying to demonstrate what a free will looks like because we think Jesus actually had a sin nature. Well, he was tempted like we were. All right, if I was to dig into my nose right now and pull out a big, crunchy, salty booger and offer to you, how many of you say, give it to me, man? I'll take two. (laughs) Right? No, you're all disgusted with that thought, right? But I technically just tempted you. I just tempted you. Have a booger. That's a temptation. That's a t- but is, it, is, is any one of you in the deepness of your heart going, I really want that booger. <laughs> right? Nobody. Right? When the devil goes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, I can make you the king of the world. Now remember, Jesus made the universe. 
He made the universe. And now one of his creations is going, I can make you. Can you imagine the, the true depth of, I'm not interested in what you have, devil? Right? Now you think of the bread. Jesus was tempted with bread, right? He wasn't tempted with bread. Let me explain this. When you, when you and I don't eat, we get hungry. Right? And if we don't eat for a long time, we get start to get weak. Is that sin? No. That's the, how God designed humans to function in His creation. Jesus had gone 40 days without eating. Was He hungry? Was He weak? Was He tired? Yes. Are any of those sin? No. Right? That's what happens. That's how God designed things. The devil comes along and says, Jesus, forget God. Make your own bread. That was the whole point. Bread wasn't the temptation. It was Jesus saying, don't rely on God. Do it yourself. That's what we say all the time, isn't it? I ain't waiting for God to do that. I ain't waiting for God to provide that for me. Forget Him. I'm going to make it happen. Right? And the devil, even though he tempted Jesus to say, blow off God and do it yourself, did he? There's no temptation in Jesus to say, yeah, you're right, devil. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, let me think about it. That wasn't in him. It would be in us. We're thinking, you're making a good point. Devil, you really got a good idea. Where is God? It's been 40 days. And I haven't seen his blessing yet. You understand? Does that make sense? Free will is dumb ideas aren't in our heads. And the devil can't tempt us with a dumb idea. That's freedom. And when we're in heaven and we have a new body, get this, we can't sin. There's not a thought in your head that will be sinful. It won't exist. You can't, won't be able to sin. That's freedom when we're not broken. I like that. Can you imagine getting up? God's there. Everything's there. There isn't a thought in your head that's ever astray. You're fully loving God as the, the greatest commandment is, love God. And He's fully loving you. There's, not, there's nothing in your day that you can't look forward to. I mean, everything is perfect all the time in your brain and in your heart. Everything you say, everything you do is spot on right. Your opinion will matter in heaven because it will always be right. What? Down here we think our opinion's always right, but it's not, right? We're just trying to pull it together and make sense of it. In heaven, we can't sin because sin is not an ability. Sin is not an ability. The evil that is in you and me is not an ability. It's a disability. It's something that someday we want to get rid of. Okay? Let that sink in. So now let's get back to this. Now we're jumping into, this would be Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers, that would be us, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God 
to make propitiation for the sins of people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Well, Jeff, look, it just says Jesus was tempted. Yeah, I didn't say Jesus wasn't tempted. And did Jesus suffer when he was tempted? I don't know, 40 days and 40 nights without food? Right? That's suffering. When he's being beaten, when he's being accused, when he's being pinned on the cross, is he being tempted when he's in the garden crying and shedding blood through his skin? Is he suffering from temptation? Yes! Yes, he is. But he suffered, but everything is external. External pain and suffering. He was put in a sin-cursed world. And humans hate God, so they hate Him and they want to kill Him. Of course He's suffering. And He's suffering from these temptations. But it's not an internal wanting to fight God, which is our temptation. So He knows what it means to live the life of a human without sin. Alright? And that's important. But the word I've got highlighted is this fancy word propitiation. And that is in your Bible. So it should be a happy word for, for you. It says it means this. To make favorably incline or to appease. And propitiation is the act of propitiating. So that's why we need to know both. Well, what is to propitiate? And it means to make favorably inclined. See, because of the law, those pesky Ten Commandments were all guilty before God. Period. We got up, we're guilty before God. That's all we had to do, was exist, and we're guilty before God. And we, by nature, do bad things. It's our nature that makes us do bad things. All right. So we're guilty before God, and if we're guilty before God, then God who is just... And good must, he's obligated to punish us because we're bad. And every sin we do is always against him. We, I might sin against you, you might sin against me, but it's always against God. Always. So, and when God's righteous and eternal, how can a finite being pay that debt back? How many prayers of repentance and how many times can you be baptized and how many times can you do some sort of human ritual that could ever pay back one lie to an infinite God. Because he's righteous, infinitely righteous, and infinitely infinite. So how in the world could you pay one lie back? You can't, because the sin's against an infinite God. So the punishment must always fit the crime. Infinite crime, infinite punishment, because we always insulted the infinite being. All right, That's just and good. All right? So Jesus comes along to somehow, how can I bring this evil person infinite, who's insulted the infinite God, how can I reconcile this without breaking the law, but satisfying the law? Does that make sense? So propitiation is the, the, act, of in, the uh, act of propitiating to make favorably inclined. And in 1 Corinthians 15.45, it says, Jesus is the last Adam. We're going to go back to Adam. We'll come back to how Jesus made that propitiation in just a moment. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And then we're going to jump back to Romans here real quick. But... um, 
Here's Paul writing about Adam. Did Paul believe in a literal Adam? The answer would be yes. Historically, a real dude was made from dust and God said, your name is Adam. The guy really existed in time and space and history. He's not symbolic of a monkey that turned into our uncle, right? He's a real dude. And he was the dude who said, God said, don't eat of that tree. Well, Adam said, nah, I think I'll eat of the tree. All right? And he sinned. Jesus is the last Adam. God sends another human representative down there to here to become that representative to redeem mankind from what the first Adam did, which was mess it up for everybody. How are we doing? Y'all hanging in there? Don't make sure no glazy eyes are going on. All right. Now, back to Romans. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and who's that one man? Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So even before Moses... Right? Moses gave the Ten Commandments. Moses gave the law. Sin was still there and death was still there. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam's. Who was a type? Who was a type of the one who was to come? Adam was a type of Jesus who's to come. That's what it means. But the free gift. Let's stop here. Free gift. How do we get to heaven? It's a free gift. What do you do when you get a free gift? Do you have to do you have to do a ceremony to get a free gift? Do you have to do some sort of action to get a free gift? You you know what I do when I get a free gift? Probably what most of you do. Yes! Woohoo! Give me the free gift! Alright! Right? Just call this number and get a free gift. Well, I'm calling, I want my free gift! Right? We want our free gift. Um, The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespasses, that would be Adam, much more have the grace of God, and there it is again, the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now if you remember, grace is defined as giving us what we don't deserve. What do we deserve? What is God obligated to do to a sinner? But He gives us grace, which is giving us what we don't deserve, which is justice. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So Adam messed up, and the whole world to this day is paying for it. But the free gift, following many sins, trespasses, brought justification. So, And this is what's important. We're going to come back to this. Because how can uh, someone who's guilty of breaking God's law be declared justified by God? Right? How can that happen? This is what Jesus brings. 
For if, because of man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, let's unpack this backwards. Jesus Christ gives us a free gift of righteousness. But we're guilty sinners. How can we be given God's righteousness? Jesus will give us God's righteousness. Jesus lived that sinless life, died the death we can't die. We can't pay what Jesus paid for us. And then God could declare us justified. But it's free for us. All we have to do is say, yeah, I want to be forgiven of everything. I want Jesus. I want him to be my representation. And I want that abundance of grace. Me, me, me. I want that. Therefore, this is all in Romans. Paul is just going down. He says, therefore, bap. Therefore, bap. And he just goes down and he gives us a, a quad, not just a combo, but he gives us four of these. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Adam gives us condemnation, meaning enemies of God. One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. But hey, Jeff, doesn't it say all men? Does that mean everybody's going to heaven? Uh, clearly it doesn't. We know from Scripture there's one way through Jesus and a lot of people are hating Jesus. So this, there's, the difference here is in the word all, all men, meaning extent versus effect. Can the death of Jesus save every human being from all time in history? It's more than powerful enough to do it. Um, but is it affecting all humans of time in history? Nope, you all got neighbors that don't give a rip about Jesus and they don't care what he died to do and they ain't listening, they ain't following, they don't care. And are they going to be saved? Nope. Nope. They're going to get just what they want. Full separation from God and His punishment and His justice. That's just what they want. And that's what they're going to get. I don't want that. I want God's grace and mercy. Right? And then here in 2 Corinthians, For he made him, for God made Jesus, who knew no sin, see, Bible says Jesus did not sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, Jesus. God says you are righteous. But you could say, yeah, but I'm not perfect. I just messed up this week. Yes! And you're going to do it again. But in Jesus, you're righteous. You're declared righteous. Almost done here. Thank you for holding on. For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Okay, do you see the pattern? Let me wrap this up here nice and clean for you. There's so much. I'm going to jump through a bunch more. And by the way, if someone says there's many ways to God, 1 Timothy 2.5, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So if someone says to you, or if you hear a preacher on TV say, there's many ways to God, 
Alright? You already know they're full of not good stuff. And you don't have to listen to them, nor is it wise to listen to them. Because the Bible says otherwise. And we go with the Bible. So how do we respond to this? Because I gave you lots of heavy thinking. So thank you again for holding on. God wants to make sure one thing is settled with all of us. It's our salvation. Meaning, whatever happens today for you and I, we know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt we're going to heaven. Because everything else is built on that foundation. When we're building our houses, we make sure we have a good foundation. we got the footers, we build our basement, and then we put the house on that. The foundation for life, the universe, and everything is knowing where we stand with God the Father. And it's not some TV, new age, nasty, freaky, evil, pagan stuff. It's that we're bad, we deserve God's punishment. Only a Christian can say that. Matter of fact, the only people who are qualified to be saved from hell are sinners. So only a sinner who can admit they're a sinner has any chance of going to heaven. I was literally talking to a friend on the phone on Friday and he says, I don't like people who just try to push Bible on you. I want to go to someone who's going to tell me how to be a better me. And I'm like, oh, my poor friend. So sad. Right? Because Christians do become better people. It's called sanctification. Right? But that's God transforming us into the image of Christ after we realize we're not good. Right? And that poor guy missed it. He's missing it. And my heart breaks for him. But God wants you to know for sure you're going to heaven. And it's through the finished work of Jesus. He also wants to you know how you're going to heaven so that you're not judging yourself on a scale of righteousness. You don't want to be thinking, did I do enough good today to please God? Because the answer will always be no. Yeah, but I mean, today I gave money to the poor. I helped someone across the street. I just did everything right. No, you didn't. All right, you still fell short. There's not enough good you can do today to make God say, you did it today. You're going to heaven because you did enough. That will never happen. Alright? We can look at the end of the day. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, at the end of the day, if we did everything possibly that's good, oh man, a checklist, checklist, oh, I did all the good stuff. The best we could do is say, that's only what a servant should do. That's how it should be. And even then it wasn't enough. Because we're not good. Even We're like a little kid trying to make a mud pie and we're covered in gunk and we're giving it to our dads or our moms. Look, I made you some food. You want to eat it? Parents are like, that's really nice of you. Yeah, that's good. Alright, that's the best we give to God. And He's not... It doesn't add it doesn't add and it doesn't detract that if Jesus made that connection for you, if you're relying on the work of Jesus before God the Father, then I messed up, I did good, I love Jesus. Woo! My day is complete and hasn't even begun. Do you understand that the motives change? You know, the Christian has to admit they're evil and need forgiving, and that's constant. Um 
And that's just repentance. That's just growing up. And when you ask Jesus to be your boss, your captain, your leader, and you yield to him and ask him to lead you, there should be that love song that we sing, I'm yours, you're in mine, lead me, guide me. I don't understand, but I'm going to follow you anyway, whatever it looks like. That's what, it, that's what it's like for a Christian. And how you live your life is based on what you know and believe. That's why the scripture is so important. If we're not stuffing Bible in our heads, then we're, we're, we're looking for excuses to not hear God. But the Bible's the fastest way. You know, we, there's a lot of married people in this room or have been married. When you were dating, could you not wait to be with that person and you were scheming ways to get with them and talk to them and meet them and call them and write them and you were pursuing them? That relationship should feel the same with Jesus. The fastest way to get to know God in Jesus is the scripture, is the Bible. And it's already on your lap. It's on your bookshelf in your house, right? It's right there. And it's so easy to dive into it. Um, Well, I take that back. There's a big spiritual battle not to. So someone who truly understands and feels loved by God wants to love him back. We want to pursue Him, to know Him, and to obey Him. And the Bible, of course, is the most direct way to God. The Christian is compelled by love to want to know what the, what's in the Bible. Because that is the fastest way to pursue God. But whoever obeys His word, truly, in this person, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know we are in Him. So measure in your heart. Do you love Jesus? Could you get up and and stand where you are, come to the front and say, I'm a big screw-up, but I love Jesus and He loves me and I'm going to heaven because of the work He did for me, not because of anything I ever did, but Jesus. It's His righteousness I'm wearing. It's His life that lived for me is why I'm going to heaven. It's Jesus. Can you say that? Is that in your heart? Is that in your mind? Do you care? That's what we're looking for. That hunger, that desire, that clarity of who Jesus is. From Bibles websites to theology, apps to blogs, there are so many fantastic resources for Christians. Get the latest news and reviews on what is out there to help you grow in Christ. The Speakin Deacon.com. Truth is here.